All right. I prepared because I do that. I do that. I want you to know I actually do study and I do prepare. And I prepared and I've got a great message that I want to share with you. And this morning, the Lord had a verse on my heart that I could not walk away from. And so I felt like it's what I was supposed to share. So uh, when I shared it earlier, it was completely extemporaneous. And we all, don't you love a good extemporaneous message? Uh, One that you're not prepared for. And so obviously I'm a little bit more prepared now because he gave it to me as I shared it in the first service. But I really believe it's a timely word for us. And it's something that the Lord has for us. So I'm going to ask David, if you'll go ahead and put the verse up. I came in and I just, I handed him the verse this morning. And in it's 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15, verse 23. I'll read it to you. Then I'll give you a little bit of background. And then basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to share the things that the Lord dropped into my heart about this. So this is not an exegetical study. I haven't spent hours and hours in this text. But I'm going to share what the Lord's giving me for us today. And it says this, and it's actually a, a quote that was given to a king, and I'll explain that. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. Another word that could be used here is the word witchcraft. Um, some of you might have even grown up and heard, heard somebody say, hey, don't be rebellious. That's like the sin of witchcraft. It comes from this verse, okay? Rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And this is a strong word from God. Let me try to frame it for us just so we can know the context of what's going on. God was Israel's king. He had promised to always be their king. It's just a promise, a guarantee that they had. So I want you to know right now, they were not without a king which makes it very discouraging, if not alarming, alarming, when we find out that Israel was constantly going before the Lord saying, give us a king. We want a king. And then they would follow it up with statements like this. We want a king who can protect us. Are you inferring that God can't? We want a king that will lead us into battle. Does God not lead his people into battle? How about this line? We want a king like all the other nations have. Have you ever given in to peer pressure? Have nations ever given in to peer pressure? Did Israel give in to peer pressure? Well, the, Philist- yeah, the people of Philistia have a king, and the Amorites have a king, and the, and the Amalekites have a king. We need a king. And so everybody else has one. We need one. Now, how many of you know that you can be persistent about asking for the wrong thing enough that eventually the wrong thing can be given to you. Not only will God do that to allow us to learn a lesson, but I know parents do that. There are times that parents have said, man, I know this isn't good for them, but they keep coming back, they keep coming back, they keep coming back. I'm going to let them learn through this experience. I'm going to allow them to have that. And they're not going to like where it's going to lead them, but I'm going to teach them through this moment. I'm going to allow them to have what they're asking for. And that's exactly what happened. They kept coming back. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. And God said, you've rejected me as king. As a matter of fact, he looked at his prophet Samuel who felt very rejected. And I get that. I'm a minister. There are times that when the Lord's given you a word and you share the word of the Lord, you kind of feel the rejection when people don't want it. And so Samuel felt that. He, he, he 
felt that rejection himself. And the Lord said, hey, they didn't reject you, buddy. They rejected me. So you don't worry about it. You're my messenger. You keep doing what you're supposed to do. So God allowed Israel not only to have a king, but he allowed them to have a king that looked like a king. Scripture says he was so tall that he was head and shoulders above everybody else in, the, in, in Israel. He was the guy that looked like the man. He would walk up, your eyes would go up, he was handsome, he was tall. That's the king that we need to lead us. But he didn't have the character. He didn't have the heart for God. As a matter of fact, in the moment when the Lord was going to allow him to step into that position and they were getting ready to proclaim, here is your king, O Israel, he went off and he hid behind the supplies because he didn't want people to see him. And he was brought out. When they brought him out, they're like, yes, yes, there he is. That's the one that we want. And God even made some promises to Saul. He said to him, if you'll follow me with a full heart, if you'll be obedient, if you do the things that I'm calling you to do, not only will you reign before me, but I'll allow your descendants to reign before me. This will pass down through your lineage. So even though God had been rejected as king, even though he was giving them what wasn't the best for them, he was willing to even make a promise that if you'll follow me with your full heart, Saul, I'll continue to bless the generations behind you. But Saul didn't. And you know the stories about Saul. In this moment in particular, he was told to lead the community to annihilate the enemies of Israel. And there's quite the story with that, and I've taught about uh, the influence of the other nations that lived in among them and around them, but particularly the nation that he was told to annihilate had literal corrupt DNA that stood opposed to what God wanted, and many of you have heard me teach on that before, literal corrupt DNA that was flowing through them, and the Lord said, annihilate it all, Saul. Lead the people to annihilate everything, even the livestock, even the sheep. I want it all dead. We're going to start fresh. So the prophet shows up after the battle's been won, and as he's walking up, he hears sheep in the background. And he approaches Saul, and Saul basically up front admits that he's scared to do it because he was afraid of what the men would say because they didn't want to destroy all the resources. But he greets Samuel and he lies to him and he says, oh, I've destroyed everything and we've brought this to sacrifice. That's how we're going to kill it. We're going to sacrifice. So you've got a guy that's trying to weasel his way around the will of God. Has anybody ever done that before? Tried to weasel his way around the will of God. And the Lord gives him a word through his prophet. And here's the word. So here's the context we've got there. Rebellion is like the sin of divination. This is the prophet speaking to the king. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Rebellion is like the sin of divination. If you look up divination to, to decipher its meaning, you'll find out that it means to divine a spirit for foretelling or giving understanding of something that you don't currently know. Now, it's not talking about connecting with the Holy Spirit. It's just talking about trying to uh, divine or have an encounter with or bring about some spirit to give you understanding of something that you don't know or a future event that you want direction about. Like Wednesday. 
Maybe you've got a meeting scheduled with your boss. There's a lot of cutback at work and you divine a spirit. You have a seance. You have a calling. You reach out to the false spirits out there. Give me direction into this meeting so that I can be prepared for it. Okay? That's what it means to divine something for future knowledge or for current understanding. Now, you can find this if you go to a palm reader, a fortune teller, if you want to join a satanic coven. All of this stuff is counterfeit of what God has for us. How many know that God gives the spirit of wisdom and revelation? He gives prophetic word. He gives discernment. God wants us to prophesy. He wants us to discern, but he wants it to come from him. He wants us to seek him. But there is a way that you can receive this, if you don't mind me saying it this way, on the dark side. You can get it that way. Now, what's interesting to me is Saul hadn't had a seance. He went on to have one later, but he hadn't had one at that point. Saul hadn't been to a fortune teller. Saul hadn't hired a palm reader to divine a word for him. What had Saul done? He'd been disobedient. He simply didn't do everything that God called him to do. And for that disobedience, God gave him a word. Rebellion is like the sin of divination. I had somebody ask me one time, they're like, Pastor Brad, how is rebellion like the sin of witchcraft? I said, the question isn't, how is it like the sin of witchcraft? The statement is, it is the sin of witchcraft. It just is, so we've got to guard ourselves. Where are you going with this, PB? That's a fair question. I doubt anyone in this room would go to a fortune teller, go to a palm reader, would get a group of people together with a lady that's got some sort of spiritual gifts that can help you connect with that dead ancestor or to receive some direction from a spirit that's living in your house. I just don't believe that people in this room would do that. You wouldn't come together and say, I don't care what spirit you're from, I need direction for my life right now. That is not this group of people not the church but you know what this group of people would do they'd be disobedient to what God's called them to do any one of us at any time can choose to be disobedient we can choose to be rebellious pastor Brad it's not the same thing according to the word of the Lord disobedience is like a seance disobedience is like a palm reading Disobedience is like inviting demonic spirits to give us direction. And I believe that the Lord brought this to my heart for us today because we are living in a church world that we are so disobedient to the Lord. We lay aside the commands of Scripture because we want to use the word grace to cover up not only past failures, but willful disobedience of today. Well, I'm covered by grace. I'm covered by grace. I am thankful for grace. I am thankful for the blood of Jesus. But ladies and gentlemen, when we surrender to Jesus, he expects us to surrender to Jesus. And in surrendering, there is being obedient. Let me just share one example. It's a small one. We took a step of faith and we said, Lord, we want to give $50,000 to help feed the hungry through our one day to feed the world offering. You guys know that. We collected that offering, and by the time all the totals were in, over $55,000 came in. We celebrate what God's done. That's exciting, but let me tell you something, and I can use this because it applies. 
As excited as I am about that offering because of the lives that it touches, 462 children this year, if I remember correctly, it's, a, it's an easy example to use to learn a lesson. If the Lord spoke to you and said, I want you to give $1,000 to Convoy of Hope for one day to feed the world, and you and your family decided that you were going to give $500 to Convoy of Hope because you just didn't believe that you could handle giving the $1,000, guess what? The $500 gift is not something that we should expect to be rewarded for because it's an act of disobedience to not give what God calls us to give. I'm just using it as an example because we've just went through this together and we can relate to it. That applies for every area of our life. We tend to pacify ourselves and comfort ourselves by our desire to do more or our commitment to obey at some point in the future. And we console ourselves with that while we're living in disobedience to what he's calling us to do right now. Let me just share an example. Let's say that you're working with an individual that drives you crazy. I'm sure none of you have ever had to do that before. And the Lord has been calling you to pray for them. And you're like, I don't want to pray for them. I can't stand them. And the Lord's, I want you to pray for them. They need me. Their family needs me. Lord, I don't want to pray for them. I don't even like them. I, did, I don't want to do that. And you fight that. I want you to pray for them. Lord, I don't want to pray for them. Lord, I, and you're fighting that. And a month goes by and six months goes by. And you're refusing to pray for that coworker. You're the one that's now living in rebellion. You're the one that's living in rebellion. And God's word says that rebellion is like the sin of divination. You might as well just set up the idols at the desk and say, hey, false spirits, come and bring oppression. Because disobedience sends a signal. Disobedience creates an atmosphere. Let me ask you this. Have you ever met people that are peaceful and you can feel it? People that are genuinely compassionate. You've probably also met people that they were used in a moment of compassion, but you could feel that they weren't even compassionate about it. They did the right thing, but it didn't have the connect in the way that it felt. How many you know what I'm talking about? I'm not dogging people here. I'm just talking about the connection of the Spirit. So there are times that you have people that have peace and walk with peace that walk into a room, and they bring that atmosphere but I hate to admit it, there are times that God's people choose to be disobedient and their disobedience brings an atmosphere as well. Listen, if the church of Jesus Christ in the United States was obedient, the United States wouldn't be in the condition that the United States is in. And our answer for our country isn't a Democrat and it isn't a Republican. It's the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, it's, it's repentance for our sin. It is pleading uh, for the blood of Jesus and the mercy of the Lord and the people of God walking out what it means to be obedient to the things that God's called us to do. I, I get it. I'm a human. It is very easy to pick on the disobedience of others rather than to be obedient about the things that he's calling me to do. And we can start mentioning sins, and we'll always pick the dirty dozen. We'll pick the top ones that we probably don't struggle with. Because it's a lot easier to throw a stone at that person than it is to recognize that you've been a Christian for 25 years, and you still are as impatient as you've ever been. And the Lord says, it's enough. Love is patient. 
God is love. I live in you. Let my patience be demonstrated through you. But God, it's in my family. My mom was never patient. Oh, I thought I gave you a new DNA. I thought that the old things passed away and all things became new and that you're not the person that you used to be. You might still look a little bit like mom and still look a little bit like dad, but you are the product of your heavenly father. You are a new creation. And because you're a new creation, you're patient. Love is patient and I'm living in you. It is there. It is available. Ladies and gentlemen, we will take disobedience and we'll call it struggle. We'll call it he's still working on me. But we won't say it's rebellion because we have a difficult time with it. Now, you guys know I've got a couple of kiddos growing up. I guess they're not kiddos anymore. But Sophia and I had a little conversation again recently because her room is just a little bit out of control. Has anybody ever went through that? The room's just a little bit out of control. And I'm like, Sophia, I want you to clean your room. And she said, I will, Dad. Now, first of all, she's a liar. (laughs) All right, we're going to deal with that. But how many know that I will dad is not the answer that dad's looking for because that is really ambiguous. I will dad in August of 2017, right? I mean, that doesn't have an ending to it. So, Sophia, I need you to clean your room. I will dad. Okay, babe, that's great. I appreciate it. Two hours later, I walk by. She's in there and she's watching her favorite YouTube channel. Sophia, I asked you to clean your room. I know and I said I'll do it. I want you to do it today, precious. (laughs) You all know that's a code word, right? We understand that. I want you to do it today. An hour later, if that room hasn't been started on, there's some major consequences to be paid for because you might be cute and I might adore you, but rebellion is witchcraft. And I don't want that in my home. Sophia, you all know her. She's a young girl of faith. When Beth and I were in Hawaii with Emma and Sophia, Les Pirtle sent me a text message. He said, Pastor Brad, if you guys see an empty furniture store in Hawaii, send Sophia around it to pray and claim it, and the whole church will move out there with you. Okay? And I loved it because Les is a lot of fun, but I loved it because he recognizes the faith that Sophia carries. She does carry a lot of faith. Many of you know that about her. We see that. She, she was talking to me this, I mean, she's having some t- tough times at school from time to time. She's being told she's too religious. In her fifth grade class, she, they were talking about the Big Bang Theory, and she said, I refuse to talk about it Jesus created. I mean, she just refused to go there. So I appreciate that she stands up, but that very faithful, very loving, can be a very disobedient little girl. And it's in the small things, and I want to crush it. I don't want to crush her because rebellion's a sin of witchcraft. Disobedience harms us. Disobedience will harm your children. Disobedience will harm your grandchildren. Disobedience will harm you. And like I said, it's always easy to identify the big things that we all know are disobedient, but what about the things that the Lord's been speaking to you? And my grandma Riley used to quote this verse all the time from James chapter 4, verse 17. She'd quote it from the King James Version. Anyone then who know the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Grandma, what does that mean? Uh, Brad, it's pretty simple what it means. If the Lord's placed something in your heart and he's calling you to do it, if you're not doing it, you're missing the mark. 
you're being rebellious. How many know that delayed obedience is disobedience? I will clean it. I want it clean today. The Lord's been speaking to many of us about things he's calling us to do. And I'm not going to start giving examples because they're as different as every person in this room. They're as different as the people on the web stream. And they're as different as anybody watching the Facebook video feed right now. That the Lord speaks to us about things that he's calling us to do. And sometimes we'll say, but he didn't ask, Pastor Brad didn't talk about that. Or he's not asking my husband to do that. Or that's not, what, that's not what my home group's doing right now. It doesn't matter. If the Lord's calling you to do something, he expects obedience. He expects partnership. And not only does he expect it, but he rewards it. And we talk a lot around here about the rewards for obedience, don't we? I mean, I believe with all my heart, with what you gave to the poor in this last month, you might as well look out for the blessings of God. Because they will overtake you because of your generosity. How many believe the principles that you reap what you sow? If you sow in compassion, you are going to reap. If you sow generously, you're going to reap. If you sow in faith, you're going to reap. If we believe those principles are true, we need to believe it here as well. The rebellion is like the sin of divination. It's calling the wrong spirits. It's, it's going to bring oppression. I'll share with you, and the Lord dropped this verse on my heart, so on the way driving down here today, I began to pray about it. I mean, if I'm not going to have time to prepare for it, I should at least pray about it. Can I get an amen? That's one of the stronger amens I've had in a while. Thank you. So I'm praying about it on the way down, and I took this, and I just began to apply it. I said, Lord, I want to break agreement with anything that's false. I mean, God's word says that, that the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace. So, Lord, if there's hate in my heart, I break agreement with that. Lord, if I'm not walking in joy, if I'm walking in discouragement and oppression, I break agreement with that. God, if I'm walking in anger, I break agreement with that, Lord. I don't want that in my life. Am I the only one that ever has woke up cranky? Anybody ever woke up on the wrong side of the earth? You don't even know why. You wake up, you're just cranky. Or maybe you had a bad dream and it kind of slimed you. You wake up feeling a little bit slimed. And it's easy to partner with the way we feel. Now, I got to get an amen on that. It, it is. It's very easy to partner with the way that we feel. And I've been tired since we got back from vacation. I, I'll be honest with you. There's three nights in a row I got two to two and a half hours of sleep. It's not good over the long haul. So by Thursday morning, I was cranky Brad. And I know you see me up here in the anointing and the glory, shining, power. Wow. I'm surprised you're still sitting and not falling over under the glory cloud. Okay? But I am very human. And I have to make a choice not to partner with crankiness and frustration. Or when the promise is taking longer than I want it to, getting frustrated with God. I have to break off alignments with that stuff. And as I was driving in, I was praying. I'm like, Lord, I break off any agreement with anger. I break off any agreement with crankiness. I didn't call it a spirit of cranky. I don't know if there's one out there, but I know that I have it every once in a while. I break that off. You know what I could feel as I was praying? I could feel my shoulders getting lighter. I could, I could feel the atmosphere in the car changing. 
What are you saying, Brad? Are you, uh, Pastor Brad? Are you saying that you're demon-possessed? Not at all. Not at all. Okay, I didn't... None of that happened. What I'm saying is that we, are, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principality and power. And the enemy, when we will partner with his agenda, he loves it. And he'll make the most of those opportunities. I've shared with you before, Beth and I want angels to be in our home. And I'm not just talking about our children. We want heavenly inhabitants to want to live at our house. We've talked about it many times, that when you're a worshiper, and you've got worship in your home, and you're, you're ushering and you're saying, Lord, we want you to live here, we want you to abide, we want you to abide here. Angels like being in places where God's presence is welcomed. They enjoy that. So we pray for that and we desire that. And there are times we sense it, there are times that we feel it, there are times that we know it. So it makes it very obvious in the other times when the house doesn't feel right. Makes it very obvious. I usually assume that Beth has some sort of hidden sin that needs to be confessed. No. I usually know if I'm filling it in the house, I need to break agreement with anything that's going on in my life that doesn't honor the Lord and anything that I've allowed in my home that doesn't honor the Lord. We're going to break agreement with that. Rebellion is like the sin of divination. We just need to accept that this is true. And we need to quit sugarcoating our disobedience by calling it, uh, he's just working on me, I'll eventually get around to it. I'm, I'm a slow mover, I've always been that way. I'm an introvert, it just takes me a little longer. And I don't know if introverts talk that way. It just takes me a little, I don't know if you do or not, because I never hear you because you're introverted. But we can give ourselves every excuse possible for being disobedient. I'll refer to an area of giving because it's such an easy example. I remember when the Lord was stretching Beth and I in giving when we were younger in our marriage, and I remember one time giving a $100 check, and it was more than half the money that we had. I mean, it was, I mean, it, was, it, was it. It was huge. I'm like, Lord, are you, this is all we have. We've got bills due. But we took that step of faith. And we did it. What if the Lord blesses you to the point that, that he's calling you to give $50,000 and it's more than half the money? But Lord, it's $50,000, but it's the same thing. It's called obedience. Just being obedient to do what he's called you to do. I know this, God will never fail us when we're obedient to what he calls us to do. Never. He's faithful to his promises. Is that true? He's faithful. So I don't want to partner with disobedience in any area of my life, in my attitude, in my giving, in my spending time with him. And by the way, this isn't a how-to message on being a better Christian. This is revelatory about making sure that we're not partnering with anything that would hinder us moving forward with all that God has for us. Look at the second thought. Arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. I mean, we've, we've heard before that, that rebellion's like the sin of witchcraft, but how about arrogance is like idolatry? Once again, I don't think that anybody in this room is going to bring a Baal idol into your house. Set it up, and as you know, Israel would succumb to that, and they would take this hollow Baal idol, they would build a fire, they would put the idol over the fire, it would begin to glow, it was a brazen altar, and then they would sacrifice their children on it. It's not going to happen here. But you know what? Some of us will sacrifice our children for our idols. 
We'll sacrifice our children because we've got to make more money. We'll sacrifice our children because golf's more important than they are. We'll sacrifice our children because I've got to have the time with the guys. Hobbies are fine. Recreation is great. But anything that takes the place of God and family becomes an idol. And I know nobody in this room is going to bring a Baal idol into their house. But you know what? We can walk with arrogance and it's the same thing. There are brilliant people in this room and I'm sure there are brilliant people watching us on live stream that could do a better job with these thoughts than me. But if you're brilliant and the Lord's given you that wisdom, you need to recognize and acknowledge that the Lord has given you that wisdom. That brain that is functioning properly and healthy, that's a gift from God. You might have prepared yourself for years, but you prepared yourself with the tools that he gave you. You might be an incredible surgeon, but all it takes is one accident for that hand to start shaking and that job's not secure. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Every skill, every ability. We need to be the kind of people that, that just humbly say, thank you, Jesus. Any opportunity that you've given me, thank you, Jesus. And help me to make the most of it. The last thing I would want is for a church to be puffed up. If a church is arrogant, if a church is haughty, my goodness, that would be idolatry in the house of God. And we don't want it as a spiritual house, do we? And I certainly don't want it in my individual life. And I know you don't want it in yours. And yet we can become prideful so quickly about things that are just so pointless. Lord, help us. Help us to be obedient and not to partner with divination. Help us, God, to be humble and not to partner with the evils of idolatry. Because the Lord gives us a word. It's pretty specific. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. That was big. Saul's disobedience and pride flipped everything upside down in his family. No longer was he going to serve with any sense of anointing, and there was no guarantee that his son would have the privilege of serving. And by the way, his son had some amazing character. We all know God had a plan for David, but I'm just saying Jonathan was a good man. He was a good man. But everything changed because of the disobedience and the rejection of the word of the Lord. We can have it happen. We can have the Lord give us a word. And I'm not just talking about a word script, uh, uh, specifically just from the text of the scriptures or from the iPad, whatever the case may be. I'm not just talking about, but I'm talking about when the Lord gives us a word, we've got to stand on it. We've got to be faithful to it. If he says, I'm calling you to be a house of prayer, we need to be committed to being a house of prayer. If he says, I'm calling you to being worshipers, we need to be committed to being worshipers. If he says, I'm calling you to welcome the broken and the less fortunate, we better welcome the broken and the less fortunate because if we reject the word of the Lord, we will miss out on the opportunities that God has for us. Let me share this with you. There are some promises that God gives us that are so beautiful and so great that they take time. They just take time. He, you've got a promise from God and it's out there. And you know you've heard from the Lord. Why does he tell it to us so early? I, we could speculate about that. I, I think one of the reasons that he shows us so early, it lets hope arise and then we can begin to call it out. There's the promise that God's given me and I'm gonna partner my words 
with the promise and I'm going to begin to declare it and speak it because how many know that the tongue has the power of life and death? So I see that promise and I'm going to proclaim it. This is what God has for me. This is where I'm headed. This is what's going to happen. And I'll proclaim that. So my, my speech will line up with that promise. But also, it will help my walk to line up with that promise. Because I'll go the direction of what he spoke to me. I'm going to stay faithful to that. I'm going to walk the path to the promise that God has for me. The promises of God help to keep you focused on what God wants you to be focused on. Because in God's opinion, it's not just the, prom, the promise that is beautiful, but it's the process of you walking to it that is beautiful. So I get it. There, how many of you have some promises from God that haven't happened yet? Let's be honest about it. You're still praying. You're waiting on. There's a lot of us. Okay? I get it. We're waiting, on, we're waiting on things as a family, and we're pursuing it, believing for things for our church. We're pursuing it. They're out there. They're great. They're God's promises. We're going to get them. Then we're going to get them. But you know what? There's another reason that sometimes promises are way out there. And it's not just because God put them out there, but it's because God put them right in front of us, and we keep taking cul-de-sacs of disobedience. And we just don't go to it. I've had so many people tell me, when I retire, I'm going to go on the mission field. If God's put a call on your heart for missions, why do you have to wait till you retire? Well, because I don't have the funds right now. Listen, I'm no angel, but we didn't have the funds when we started Faith Chapel either. You know how much money we had? Zero dollars. The first offering collected at Faith Chapel was dropped into a coffee cup. It was 300 bucks. And I rejoiced. And it came from one person. I rejoiced in the $300 check, and I thought, those disobedient others that didn't give to help us get started, what's going on here? We didn't, we didn't have cash. I remember calling our district superintendent, saying, hey, we're going to launch this church. And he said, praise God, yeah, we're behind you. I said, is there any home missions money available? And he said, no, go get them. That was, I'll never forget how he, 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 here was his strategy on starting the church. He said, rent a tent, put it up in a field, have a crusade, and with the converts, start a church. How many of that know that works in O'Fallon in 1997? <laughs> the, you, what, I'll rent a tent right there next to Monticello subdivision? We'll set it up on the tennis court. We'll bring in some, some straw and some, some uh, bales of hay. We'll sing, I shall not be moved. We'll have 50 people get saved and we'll start a church. It's just crazy. But we knew God was calling us, and we stepped into it. I'm no saint. Well, according to Scripture, I am. I don't feel like it all the time. If the Lord's calling you into missions, let's start stepping into missions. It doesn't, you don't have to have it all figured out ahead. If He's calling you, let's step into it. Let's do what God's calling us to do. Let's be obedient. Let's, let's obey the voice of the Lord. Are you receiving this today? Maybe it's not stepping into a full-time missions call. Maybe it's something he placed on your heart here through your local church or maybe even outside of this local church, a ministry that he's placed on your heart and you've been pondering it and contemplating it for five years. Listen, no condemnation, but five years of people that needed it, that haven't had it. I'll start wrapping this thing up. 
I know that there are times that God will place somebody on your heart that he wants you to speak to, he wants you to pray for, and we'll wait it out. We're we're uncomfortable, we don't feel courageous enough to have the conversation, we don't really like them, whatever the case may be. And we'll, we'll wait and we'll wait and we'll wait. Listen, sometimes we'll wait till August. Sometimes we'll wait till December. We're in the month of March. And the Lord is speaking to you today about people and opportunity because they need it today. They'll need it in August, but they need it now. And we might actually find out that some people, when we're delayed in our obedience, they might not be here in August. They might not be here in December. God's word says in James, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. Ladies and gentlemen, none of us are guaranteed this afternoon. At any moment, God could call us home. I mean, Paul said it in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We never know the day that the Lord's calling us. We never know the the day that the Lord's going to call that guy that we're working with that we can't stand, that we've been putting off sharing our faith to, that if we don't share our faith, he's going to split a devil's hell wide open because he needs Jesus. We're emissaries. We're dignitaries. We're royalty. We're ambassadors. And we need to communicate what he's placed in our heart to communicate because people are dying for this message. They need it. So let's wrap this thing up. Rebellion, it's like the sin of divination. We would never come into this place, and if we tried to do this, you all would slam us and you would be perfectly appropriate in doing so. We would never try to come into this place and conjure any spirit other than the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. But any one of us could come into this place in active, willful disobedience to the Lord, rebellion, and bring that same spirit with us. God, forgive us. God, forgive us for not being obedient. I'm not talking about whether you're going to heaven I'm not talking about whether he loves you or not. You are well established in the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are well established in knowing that he loves you. I'm talking about you partnering with the things that he's placed in your heart and being obedient to it. I don't want to make excuses for my disobedience anymore. Because I'm going to call it what it is. It's rebellion. I, I live with an amazing woman. I, actually, we're married. Um, just so you know, but Beth is as cut and dry as anybody I've ever met in my life, and I'll be the first one to give an excuse about a behavior, and she'll be the first one to say, disobedience is rebellion, and that's witchcraft, and she goes there, and she's right. I don't want witchcraft in my house. Anybody else? then we need to be obedient. And I'm not just talking about my children, I'm talking about myself. 
you don't want that in your house either. You want the presence of God in your home. You want the glory of the Lord in your home. So if rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and it brings, it's like divination, what's obedience? Think about that. What does that bring? If obedience to the word of the if disobedience brings divination, what does obedience bring? I think it just brings increase in glory and presence and opportunity. So what does this have to do with our series that we started today? An open invitation. The way that you are partnering in your life, you are giving an open invitation to either the evil one to hinder you or the presence of God to pour himself out on you. And I want to give the Lord an open invitation into my life in every area. Can I get an amen?